Welcome to the June edition of the Jackson and Peck Financial Group podcast. My name is Daryl Peck, and with me is my business partner, Christian Jackson. We're very excited for this month's podcast titled Wills, Trusts, and Estates. With us today, we have Peter Wessels, who is an attorney. Peter grew up in Bettendorf, Iowa, and graduated from Bettendorf High School. He then attended Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois, where he obtained a degree in accounting and finance. Peter received his Juris Doctor from Charleston School of Law in Charleston, South Carolina. Peter joined Wessels and Weirman in 2015. He is a member of the Rock Island County Bar Association, Rotary After Hours, and the Young Lawyers Division of the Scott County Bar. Peter practices in the area of estate planning, trust administration, business planning, elder planning, and farm succession planning. Peter, thanks for coming on with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, well, let's get started, Peter. Um, Just a real basic question that would apply to all our listeners. Generally speaking, what legal documents should everyone have? So we recommend everybody have at least a a last will and testament and then powers of attorney for property and health care. Most people are pretty familiar with the last will and realize its importance to distribute assets you know, when you pass away. But we see people often overlook the, the powers of attorney, you know, for healthcare and property. Um, you're much more likely to, to uh, become incapacitated than you are to actually pass away. Uh, but unfortunately, if you become incapacitated and don't have these documents, then nobody, not even a spouse, has the authority to act on your behalf. So instead, you know, we need to go into court and appoint a guardian conservator to act on your behalf which uh, can cost a few thousand dollars and, more importantly, you know, waste some valuable time. You know, of course, we believe everybody should have a last will uh, or a revocable trust, which expresses you know, how assets should be distributed if you, know, you pass away. I'd say the revocable trust become extremely popular for the past 10, 50 year, 10 or 15 years, uh, especially among our clients, um, as it's able to avoid the costs and kind of the formalities of a probate administration. That's great info. And then you had brought up a will. Um, you know, what happens, unfortunately, we see this often, what happens when someone dies without a will? That's a good question, Christian. So, as you can imagine, this happens every single day. People pass away without a last will and testament. Uh, each state has what they call an intestate statute, and intestate is pretty much dying without a will. So, the intestate statute dictates where the assets are to be distributed if there's no will. Uh, so every state's and test state statute's a little different. Um, even Iowa and Illinois are different, uh, just across the river here. And so many states look to distribute, obviously, to the spouse if there is one surviving, and if not, then to descendants first. So um, you know, we often get asked, well, what age should I have a will? You know, especially with the younger clients, you know, should I have a will at this age? You know. Our position is, yeah, everybody should have a will. Uh, we don't want the, uh, the state dictating where the assets pass. You know, we want your intentions laid out and, uh, and assets distributed accordingly. But, you know, if there's kind of a, a guideline, I'd say, you know, if you have kids, you got to have a last will and testament. Um, we want especially a guardian appointed that we can, we can appoint who, who takes care of the kids if you're not able to. Great. And so about eight years ago, I was, you know, just in that situation myself where our wife and I, we had our first child um, on the way and we met with an attorney to try to get some of these things taken care of. 
And, and our questions were, you know, if, if I were to die and we don't have guardians chosen for my children, you know, what does happen to our mm-hmm. kids? Yeah, so if no guardian's appointed by the will, then the court ends up choosing a guardian for the underage children. Uh, that that selection process entails kind of, you know, the court appointed a guardian ad litem for the, for the kids, which is essentially another attorney that uh, acts as, as a representative to, to represent the best interests of the children. And then that guardian ad litem advocates for the guardian that they feel is going to be best suited to care for the children. And so in other words, you're kind of leaving this incredibly important decision in the hands of strangers. So that's why we stress, you know, the importance of naming a guardian and having the will uh, so that we're not leaving this, this selection up to chance. Great. A lot of differences between the state of Illinois and the state of Iowa. Um, as close as we are, there's quite a bit of difference there. But one of the differences is with regard to death. What are the differences between Illinois and Iowa when it comes to inheritance and death taxes? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start up with the federal state tax, um, you know, because that's uniform uh, between all 50 states and has changed pretty significantly here in, in uh, the start of 2018. So the federal state tax more than doubled from $5.5 million to over $11 million. And what that means is, you know, you're only going to pay federal state tax if you pass away with over $11 million. And if you're married, each of you have that $11 million exemption. So you, know, you have to pass away with over $22 million uh, to start paying federal state taxes. Bottom line is clients aren't very concerned. We don't have many clients out there that, that have that, that kind of money, but not many of them. So the, uh, the state of Illinois also has an estate tax, but is significantly lower with a $4 million exemption per individual. So after $4 million, yeah, then you can start paying uh, Illinois estate tax. Iowa is kind of completely different in, in their approach to death taxes, and uh, they have what's called an inheritance tax. An inheritance tax only applies when a decedent distributes property to somebody who is a descendant or an ascendant. So in other words, if you give property to a sibling, a niece or nephew, a cousin or a friend, then you're looking at paying uh, inheritance taxes on that distribution. So, um, you know, the amount of taxes, well, it can vary. You know, it, it ranges from 5 to 15 percent of the distribution, but, you know, it really looks at well, who are you distributing it to? What's the relationship and the size of the distribution uh, to, to factor that tax? So uh, as opposed to the federal and Illinois tax, you know, there's no threshold on a distribution. So you, know, you could even be given $1,000 to your sibling, and you're going to be hit with, with uh, Iowa inheritance tax. Gotcha. So this is a question that we get a lot from uh, from our clients, um, and this is with respect to Medicaid. If I get sick or go into a nursing home, can the state take all my stuff? Yeah, that does come up a lot. So uh, it's generally generally not the state that we're real concerned about. It's the cost of medical care. So living costs and, and medical care for the elderly and disabled has just risen so dramatically over the past couple decades. Um, you know, with the average nursing home probably around seventy thousand per year, with such high costs, you know, people can quickly lose their retirement. 
and uh, and spend it all in the in the care facility or nursing home. So the state doesn't typically become involved until assets are, are depleted and an individual can no longer really pay for the care. So um, you know, an individual that then runs out of money, they can then apply for Medicaid. Uh, and and so Medicaid uh, is is becoming more and more common uh, and more of an issue. Um, you know, clients become fearful that, well, retirement, we don't want to lose it all to, to the nursing home. What can we do to protect the assets? So, you know, our firms started to become, uh, we've started to kind of specialize in, in Medicaid and in elder law in addition to our estate planning. And, uh, you know, the reason we've done that is because, well, we were asked so much about it. You know, clients wanted that service and uh, now we're, we're happy to be able to help. And um, so, you know, in, in, to go back to your question, Daryl, well, it's, it's not really protecting from the state. You know, when the state becomes involved, um, Medicaid's involved. So there's, it's, it's a limited resource. You know, there's really not that much there in assets anyway. Great. Um, Peter, another question here that's more towards the advanced planning side of things outside of a basic will and your POA. Um, what general indicators do you use to determine if someone is in need of setting up, say, a family trust? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few indicators that, that we look at to determine whether a family trust is, is kind of the right vehicle for a client. The first indicator, I'd say, would be the relationship of the, the clients. You know, is this a first marriage or a second marriage? Are there children from, from another marriage? Um, and you know, maybe most importantly, do they have common goals for their estate plan? Because it's important to note that family trusts remain amendable and revocable after the first spouse passes away. So since the survivor can change the plan, there's really no way to ensure that the intent of both spouses are fulfilled. And if that's the case, well, you know, maybe we don't want to look at a family trust. So we're also looking at the, the size of the estate to determine whether we need to do some estate tax planning. And separate trusts, which is kind of the alternative to doing a family trust, allows us some more flexibility to advance estate tax planning. Um, and we're able to ensure that we take the, the maximum estate tax exemptions for both spouses when we use uh, individual trusts. Perfect. What's the most common mistake you see when it comes to settling an estate or, or with regard to the beneficiaries? Well, it might not be as much of a mistake as it is an assumption, which is that settling a state can be done uh, in just a few days. You know, sometimes we get clients in and say, well, we want to wrap this up, you know, and, and that's typically not the case. Uh, settling a state, particularly through a probate administration, can be a fairly long process. You, know, you have to go into the court and you got to submit the will uh, to the court for administration to the probate, appoint an executor of the estate, publish in the newspaper for creditors, and provide all heirs with notice of the probate. So, um, you know, in addition to those formalities of, of a probate, well, you know, you got to go out and you got to pay debts off, including funeral bill and any last medical expenses. You know, real estate, if there's real estate, we, we might have to sell it or, or convey it. Um, assets need to be consolidated. Uh, values of assets need to be accumulated and uh, distributions made out to the beneficiaries. 
All right, well, that's all uh, great content um, up to this point. Uh, great questions or answers to our questions there, Peter, and uh, more of a fun one here for you from you know your uh, experience as an attorney. And without going into too much detail and risk violating any privacy, what is one of the most unique situations you've ran into in your in your practice? That's a good question. Well, you know, I guess a recent story comes to mind is, you know, one of my clients was kind of starting to suffer from dementia, um, you know, in the early stages there. And so he had a, he's got a nice house there in the Quad Cities here and um, small yard, didn't need much maintenance. And so his wife recently informed me, we had to take away the car keys and the credit card. So I inquired about it and said, well, you know, what happened? So it turned out that she came home and uh, found my client's car gone and a brand new riding lawnmower uh, sitting there in the driveway. And uh, so obviously when, when she found him inside, she said, well, what's the new riding lawnmower doing out here? And uh, he told her, well, I went over to Home Depot and uh, purchased it and then I drove it home. Well, that means he drove it down Middle Road you know, a busy four-lane street outside of uh, Home Depot in Bettendorf. And, uh, you know, luckily nothing happened. Uh, he's uninjured. But, you know, the image of my client driving a slow riding lawnmower down the middle of Middle Road is, is one that kind of always brings a smile to my face. Well, that's, that's a pretty great story, Peter. I'm glad he's okay. And, well, thanks again for joining us today, Peter. Hey, thanks for, uh, for having me on. And thanks uh, to you that are listening in. And for more information on us, Jackson and Peck Financial Group, any topics we discussed today or to listen to our past podcasts, please visit our website at www.jacksonpeckfg.com. Christian and Daryl are registered reps of and offering securities and investment advisory services through Signator Investors, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Jackson and Peck Financial Group is independent of Signator and located at 121 South Main Street, Kiwani, Illinois, 61443. Wessels and Weirman and Peter Wessels are not affiliated with Signator. The information presented by Peter is solely the responsibility and comments made may not necessarily reflect the opinion of Signator. Representatives of Signator do not provide legal advice. Please consult your attorney for such guidance.